So uh, it is a beautiful day that we have to uh, be here. Uh, certainly um, to be alive, to you know, be uh, in the presence of one another. Um, I was thinking about uh, the lesson that we discussed last Lord's Day about uh, you know the good and evil and, and righteousness and unrighteousness. And uh, I've always, or I've, I've actually heard it said that um, that is, you know, the because those lines are not uh, um, congruent. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Um, because of their incongruency, let's say that uh, they don't, they're they're not at the same level. They don't, uh, you know, they're not equivalent to one another. That that is really the the great curse that uh, all of us live with each and every day. And I'll, I'll talk about that in greater detail. Um, I apologize if you weren't, uh, if you weren't here last Lord's Day. Um, we didn't record it. It's all Alice, uh, Sister Allison's fault. Um, but uh, I, will, I will do my best to give a, a rough recap um, as we, we go into the lesson this morning. So the, the story really starts off for humankind in the book of Genesis. Uh, the third chapter, um, Eve, uh, or Adam and, and Eve, after being given uh, the charge to uh, care for all of God's creations, to, to name the beasts, um, the animals, if you will, in the Garden of Eden, um, they were also given free reign to consume of the Garden of Eden as they so chose. Uh, rather, they were given the ability to eat of any fruit uh, from any tree in the garden, I meaning except for the tree, or excuse me, the fruit uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, as a matter of fact, God told them not to do that, and also gave them the consequences of doing that. He told them that in that day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, as we we read in the beginning of Genesis, the third chapter, that there was a, a beast who is the subtlest of all beasts, beasts um, the serpent. And, uh, you know, obviously Satan deciding to manifest himself in this beast is no, um, is no coincidence. Um, but in any case, the serpent beguiled Eve and said, you know, you know God is giving you the ability to eat of every fruit. Um, why not the fruit of that tree? And, he's, and she responded by saying that I can't eat of it because God has told me that the day that I eat of it, I shall surely die. And the serpent, as we know, says that, no, he doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he wants to spare your life. He wants you to eat of that tree in order to maintain superiority over you because he knows in that day that you eat thereof, you will be as he is, knowing good and evil or as we, as we looked at it uh, uh, last Lord's Day, um, and I'll read the verse here in my recap. I won't spend a whole lot of time on it because I don't want to keep us here for another hour and a half. But <clears throat> it says in verse number five, um, uh, the serpent said to said to her that no that's not the case he he doesn't want you 
it says in verse number five, For God doeth know that in that day that you shall live, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods. Lowercase g. Uh, knowing good and evil. Um, and as we discussed last Lord's Day, um, that uh, it is not coincidence, rather, that uh, Moses, when he wrote the book of Genesis, um, that he used lowercase g and not uh, capital G, right? Because we know that there is only one God. There aren't many gods. There is only one God. But the reference to gods is the reference to the celestial beings, the celestial creatures that God had created, Satan being one of them, Jesus being one of them, and all of the angels in heaven um, being lowercase gods in the context of being spiritual celestial beings. And we can read about the difference between the terrestrial and celestial in the book of Romans. But the premise here in this particular verse is that God knew what type of creatures that he created. As, as you can see, when he created man, he formed man from the dust of the earth. And by definition, man was a terrestrial animal and not a celestial one. How do I know this? Again, you can go back and, and read uh, what it says uh, again in the book of Romans. Um, I'll get the verse for you. Um, Romans, the eighth chapter, I believe. No, I said that wrong. Romans, the uh, I just gave this lesson last Lord. I should know these verses like the back of my hand. Um, give me a second here. Let me find it. And we'll move on. Romans, the I have that right. I had that right. Yeah, that was right. Romans, the uh, eighth chapter. So, um, as we, as we, as we can tell from, you know, this this discussion about uh, the two different uh, types of creatures, if you will, the celestial and the terrestrial is that um, there's a reference to two types of creatures or two types of human beings that were mentioned one is the one is the first atom was the terrestrial and one is the second atom to a celestial and we know that Jesus Christ is that uh, the, that second atom if you will in in the scripture and Going on and, and looking at um, the challenges that we face, the struggles that uh, Paul mentions in the latter part of Romans, the eighth chapter, about, you know, there's, there's two struggles. There's a struggle between the, uh, the flesh and the spirit. Um, it highlights this fact that in Genesis, there was no struggle because there wasn't an awareness of the, um, there wasn't an awareness of those things that are good and evil. 
uh, in Genesis, the third chapter, after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that their eyes were opened and they became ashamed. Well, God isn't a liar. And for that matter, Satan did not lie to them in Genesis, the third chapter. He just told them a different version of the truth. Well, there is no different version of the truth. He did tell them a lie, but he used truth or he turned the truth into a lie. And so their eyes were open and they became aware of good and evil. Um, they became aware of what's moral and what's immoral. Um, just as the angels in heaven have a knowledge of good and evil, um, the angels in heaven also have a choice to follow good and evil. Um, if you look at uh, what it says in the book of Revelations, if you look at what it says in the book of Jude, certainly in the book of Jude, it says that the angels in heaven, having left their habitation, having given up their purpose as God has created them, um, and again, we'll, we'll read that just, again, just as a recap. It's uh, the book of Jude. Uh, the sixth verse, it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, estate rather, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in the, in the everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So even the angels know good and evil, but mankind, Adam and Eve at the very beginning, being naked, walking around the Garden of Eden, not knowing that their nakedness was a bad thing, Upon eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were awakened to the fact that it is not a good thing. It is not proper. It is not moral for a man and a woman to look upon one another's nakedness in the context that they found themselves. What's important to also know is that Adam did not know his wife until after he, they left the Garden of Eden. Now I'm going to talk about that for a second in, in the reference of the, the scripture, uh, excuse me, the lesson this morning. Um, that they looked at themselves, they saw that they were naked, they immediately took fig leaves and, and bound them about their, 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 um, you know, their nether regions, their, their, you know, the parts of the body that uh, is not proper to be out there naked, but it wasn't until after they left the Garden of Eden. It wasn't until after knowing or having their eyes open to the desires of the flesh in that way that Adam knew his wife Eve. Now you may say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, sexual attraction has a lot to do with what I just spoke about. Um, we talked about uh, last Lord's Day that, you know, the love of the world, um, the things that are in the world, rather, as it states in First John, are these, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. Now, there was no pride, there was no lust of either the flesh or the lust of the eyes until that subtle serpent, Made it, made it known unto uh, to Eve, as you can go back and you can read in Genesis, the third chapter, and verse number six, um, where it says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. 
that's interesting to note that it wasn't until Satan posed the question or planted the seed of, of doubt, planted the seed of desire, planted the seed of lust, um, and all of those things that it wasn't until then that the woman, Eve, and I don't want to put it all on the woman Eve because certainly Adam had a lot to do with this being, you know, the leader of a two-man fa or a two-person family. Um, and we can read about later on in the curse, uh, as we talked about last Lord's Day, that uh, be as, as is written in verse number, um, uh, verse number 17 of Genesis, the third chapter, the reason why man was cursed was because he hearkened unto the voice of his wife or his woman or Eve instead of hearkening unto the voice of the Almighty God. And that's his fault. That's not Eve's fault. That's his fault. That's the role he played in this, in this sinful act. But getting back to um, what, we, what we talked about uh, last Lord's Day, that again, it wasn't until then that she gazed upon the tree and said, Hey, you're right. It is a good tree. Or the fruit of that tree is, is worthy of being consumed. It is good for food. Um, but it isn't just good for food, right? It, it isn't just appealing to my flesh. It isn't just appealing to my eyes, but it's also appealing to my pride. And I didn't know this until Satan presented this opportunity to me. I didn't fall victim to it until I actually ate of it. And we all know, as it states in Romans, the, the sixth chapter, and we can go back and and take a look at that about, about lust and about temptation. Um, but uh, if you have your Bibles, again, I'm, I'm not going to, I said I wasn't going to give a whole lot of a recap, but, um, well, here, here we go. Um, and actually it's Romans the, uh, yeah, Romans the sixth chapter. Um, it says in uh, verse number 12 to let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that it sh that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And we know that, uh, you know, God doesn't tempt any one of us, um, but we Man. sin um, when we are drawn away or enticed by our own lusts. Mm -hmm. And when that uh, when we act upon that lust. It brings forth sin, and sin, when it is completed, brings forth death. And so Satan knew this, right? He knew how to play on mankind's eaves in this, in this particular instance, to play on her lusts, because she was a woman of the flesh. Um, getting to um, this this. Uh, this concept of being lowercase gods or as Eve says in that following verse there that the fruit is capable of making one wise um, wise to what knowledgeable to what do they need any additional wisdom other than the wisdom that God had built into their brains now mind you God formed a took a uh, took the dust and formed an adult male Later on, he took a rib from Adam after he caused him to go into a deep sleep. 
and he took the rib of Adam and formed an adult female. They didn't go to school, right? They, they didn't learn their ABCs. They didn't learn one, two, three, one plus one equals two. There was knowledge there that God implanted in their brains in the process of forming these two human beings. He gave them exactly the prerequisite wisdom and knowledge that he wanted them to have, right? Because obviously, again, there wasn't any pre-kindergarten, preschool. There weren't any parents, rather, to teach them how to read and write. These were fully formed adult human beings. And thus, they had the wisdom as adults that God intended for them to have as terrestrial beings. And the reason why he told them not to eat of the knowledge of the not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, was because that knowledge was not what he intended these fully formed human beings to have when he created them. Otherwise, he would have said, go ahead and eat. Or he probably would have said, you need to eat of this knowledge because you need more than what I have provided to you as fully formed adult creatures of the human race. It wasn't until... They ate of the knowledge of, uh, they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that they became terrestrial beings with celestial knowledge. Was it absolutely necessary that they have it? No, it wasn't. Otherwise, God would have given it to them when He made them. Furthermore, we know that He didn't want them to have it which is the reason why he gave them a law and told them that they cannot have it. But we want what we, what we can't have, right? It's interesting that later on, after God had uh, cursed Adam and Eve as a result of their transgressions, that God put a cherubim. He protected the tree, the fruits of the tree of the... No- He protected the fruit of the tree of life. And why did he put a cherub in there? Why did he protect this this tree of life? He said, because in the day that man eats thereof, they'll live forever. Now, that was afterwards. They had the ability to eat of the, of the fruit of the tree of life. They had the ability to live forever, to, to live infinitely, to eternally, if you will. But it wasn't until after they got this celestial knowledge, they became as gods, lowercase g, not capital G, um, and, and if you have a study Bible, you can see there that uh, a synonym for gods is, is as the angels or as the other celestial creatures that God had created. Um, but just imagine, if you will, if Adam and Eve having, you know, being terrestrial, knowing the celestial and ate of the knowledge, excuse me, ate of the tree of life. How where, where is the space for, for faith? Where is the space for, for God? Where is the space for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And I say that with all gravity. 
They have the knowledge, they're terrestrial beings, they live forever, and they have celestial knowledge. Where is the space, and I'm not saying like God, God being the Almighty, He can make space for Himself. I'm not saying that God is not ill-equipped as the Almighty to do whatever He wants to do. What I'm saying is, is where is the space for God? Where is the space for faith? Where is the space for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our lives if we had all of those three things? Or, excuse me, those two things. You live forever, and you have some celestial knowledge, this, you know, some semblance of morality, good and evil. Okay, I say, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use pop culture for a second. Vampires. Vampires are a figment of human imagination, right? Somebody somewhere said, you know what? Maybe it's a folktale. I don't know the history of the stories of vampires, but I know it was made up. But it's interesting that with the story of vampires that these non-dead or undead or these, these creatures that can live forever, they look like human beings, they, they can't go out in the sun, so they're always in the dark, right? Uh, and they can only sustain themselves by consuming the essence, the lifeblood of others. And I think that is a, a, an interesting invention of humankind. We are actually telling ourselves, or in, through a story, we are acknowledging what we know to be the truth. That if we had, if Adam and Eve had laid hold on eternal life, we would have given ourselves entirely over to darkness. Think about it for a second. If you can live forever and there was no consequence, uh, um, uh, there was no consequence of, of transgressing the will of God, what would you be inclined to do? Now, I know none of us in the room are liars, so don't lie to yourself. You know exactly what you would be doing. First off, you wouldn't be in this building. You wouldn't be worshiping God in spirit and truth. You know exactly what you would be doing. Whatever your heart, or let me, let me be more specific, whatever your flesh inclines you to do, you would be doing just then. And you can go back and you can look at every vampire movie that's ever been created, and you will see that these vampires do whatever it is that their flesh would, at, would have them to do. We tell ourselves in the form of stories and, and nursery rhymes, we, we acknowledge the truth. Look at zombies. Zombies are mindless creatures. Subject to only what? The desire to, um, to fulfill their insatiable thirst or their insatiable hunger for human flesh. That's a story, but there's truth in that. And we all know the truth. It's, it's kind of, we, we play these funny mind games with ourselves, but... We know the truth, you know, as they say, you know, art, uh, art imitates life. Um, and so, again, just think about 
you as, as the living dead. Oh, you know, walking around. Let's look at Frankenstein. I can go on and on and on and on and on. But this, these are just manifestations of human beings acknowledging the truth as we know it in the form of a story. Um, but I digress. I want to get back to um, what would happen if we ate of the tree of, uh, the tree of life. God knew it, um, so he protected it. He did not make that tree available to these terrestrial beings who had knowledge that they were not intended to have um, in the form of knowing good and evil. Now, I want to jump full head on into the lesson here, and I want to start off by looking at Luke, the 16th chapter. Now, in Luke, the 16th chapter, we can read in the latter part. Um, if you have a study Bible, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll see it there. It's the, uh, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, this is a phenomenal um, uh, okay, you could you could call it a parable, you could call it a story, um, but it's spoken by Christ, so I know it's the truth. I'll just put that there. He, God, Jesus being God in the flesh, he cannot lie. It's an immutable fact that God cannot lie. Uh, whatever comes out of God's mouth is truth. Um, he has the, the power of his words uh, to move, the, uh, to move the, the will and the pattern of all life in the universe. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, um, also spoke truth. And so he says in verse number 19 of Luke, the 16th chapter, he says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, um, oh boy, how do I want to? How do I want to approach this? I'll, I'll use this context. The um, the scripture tells us that it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than it is for a loaded camel to go through the eye of a needle, mm -hmm. right? It says that um, that uh, there is a curse that goes along with being rich because what um, rich individuals? I'm not even saying rich. So I'm looking out in, into this crowd here, and, and all of us are, are, we're rich. Okay, if you don't believe me, go to Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, you'll have some context into how rich your life is. But I digress for that half second. I, I want to go back to, it says that, you know, the, 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 the curse of the rich, um, the scripture says that is, is that they put their faith and their belief in their riches. And so we find this man, Lazarus, or excuse me, um, this certain rich man, he has no name rather. Um, it says that he was clothed in purple um, and he ate sumptuously every day. Um, he had a lot. He had more than enough for himself and possibly for others, um, such that he, he had no need for anything. Life was great for him. And then we find the name of a, of a man um, who is named, uh, but he's a beggar. In verse number 20, um, and he laid at the gate, he was full of sores. That's another interesting note that uh, while the rich man was someone who was fit, 
um, who is healthy, we find that there is a beggar outside the city by the name of Lazarus who is not fit and healthy. In verse number 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which, fed, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, he only found compassion and relief from four-legged animals. As it says, uh, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. There's a huge distinction here between what happened between, uh, at, the, at the point of the death of these two, these two men. Lazarus, when he died, it doesn't say that he was buried. It says that he was carried away by the angels in Abraham's bosom. It's completely irrelevant to know in this context what happened to, to Lazarus with his body, uh, moreover, or specifically. What is relevant, and Jesus does not waste words. And I, would, and I can say that every single word in the book uh, in the Holy Bible is there for an intended purpose. There is no wasted words. Um, there, is, there aren't words that, um, that are spared in, in, as well. Uh, you know, the scripture tells us that every idle word will be brought into judgment. Um, if God has that same rule of thumb with all of us, He certainly has that same rule of thumb as it pertains to His word. There are no idle words in the Holy Bible. And so Jesus purposely says that when he died, forget about his body. Lazarus, I'm, I'm referring to. When Lazarus died, forget about his body, but his spirit was carried uh, by the angels in Abraham's bosom. But the rich man, what happened? When he died, his body was buried. We know exactly, I mean, there. I'm sorry, I've got it in my brain. I'm hopefully I'm communicating it to, to you all clearly in words, is that we have the rich man Lazarus, who we know specifically what happened to his celestial body. And we also know what happened to this rich man, and we know what happened to his terrestrial body. It says in verse number 23, that after he was buried... And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in, the, in this flame. I won't, that is a lesson all in of itself. I could talk for, well, not I, boy. The scripture could talk to us for hours and hours on end on just this verse about the. Well, I want to I want to put it into words here. The danger of going to hell. Both Lazarus and the rich man were not, did not have human fleshly bodies. They had celestial bodies. Yes. And to be in a place where your celestial 
body is burning mm -hmm. forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There is no flesh to turn into ash is my point. Mm -hmm. There is no finality. If, if you were burned in a fire, mm -hmm. your pain is only temporary. I thought about this, you know, a couple times. You know, you know the, the people, <clears throat> you know, were burned at the stake. You know, that's, that's a horrible way to die. Mm -hmm. But it's only going to last as long as the heat burns through the three or four, excuse me, the two layers of flesh, burns through the nerve endings, Right after that, you won't feel any pain. And then you'll continue to burn if you happen to feel pain because the, the, uh, the flames have reached an untouched portion of your, of, your, of your body. You will be dead, and at that point, the pain will cease to exist. It's temporary. In hell, you burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever with that same pain and that same torment. And so, even in, even in light of that, the rich man thought that he could find some relief by having Lazarus take a little bit of water right. and put it on his tongue. Mm -hmm. Abraham obviously tells him that that can't happen. Why can't it happen? And, and this is another lesson that, that we could touch on. Um, that God uh, can educate us on. In verse number 25, Abraham refers to the rich man as his son. Now, if you recall, last Lord's Day, we looked back at the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, uh, um, let, me, let me find uh, the chapter for you for, for those who are taking notes. Proverbs, the third chapter in verse number one. Solomon also uses the word son. And so Solomon, as, he's, as he writes the book of Proverbs, he's talking to um, not just his physical sons, but he's also talking to the younger of us, right? As somebody who, is, who has wisdom and he's parting wisdom on, on the unwise, he says in Proverbs, the third chapter, in verse number one, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. He goes on to say in verse number four, uh, Proverbs, the third chapter, So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on, uh, onto thine own understanding. And, and we could read the rest of Proverbs chapter 3, but we don't have time. But again, Abraham refers to the rich man as son. He says, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, mm -hmm. and thou art tormented. How is that? How is it that one man can receive a good thing, but find himself, what does it say, in the pit of hell with the unrighteous? Mm -hmm. Just like we talked about last Lord's Day during the lesson, that there is a difference between good and evil, and right and wrong. Mm -hmm. 
or righteousness and unrighteousness. It is absolutely possible to do something in your mind that you think is good, but it be absolutely unrighteous in the eyes of God. We've done it. We have fairy tales about it, don't we? Robin Hood. Again, a story, a fairy tale that we've devised as human beings to acknowledge the truth. But we but we kind of make it into something a little bit more appealing. So Robin Hood is someone who does good. But what does he do? He steals from the rich to give to the poor is stealing righteous in the eyes of God. Absolutely not. So what does the king do? In the, the story of Robin Hood. The king also knows that it isn't right. To steal. So what does he do? He, he you know, has you know, a posse if you will. And he goes about trying to find Robin Hood. But we all glorify Robin Hood. You know as the, the people's champion right? You know uh, you can look at uh, Al Capone. You can look at uh, um, you know pick your, your famous. Uh, you know, organized crime leader. What did he do? Yeah, he was out there feeding, you know, the community. But he was a criminal. Does that make it right in the eyes of God? Absolutely not. So it is absolutely possible to be good, but also be found unrighteous in the eyes of God. And the rich man found himself in this particular circumstance. I don't know all the things that the unrighteous man uh, the, or all the things that the rich man did that were unrighteous in God's eyes. But Jesus is clearly giving us some insight into what the scripture is all about. Mm -hmm. The scripture is not about making someone good. The scripture is about making someone righteous. Right. Because righteousness is far superior than simple goodness. Mm -hmm. Now... <clears throat> I'm running short on time and recording space, so I need to fast forward. So again, um, in the latter part of uh, uh, Luke, the 16th chapter, um, the rich man says, okay, fine. Father Abraham, I've got five brothers in verse number 28. Mm -hmm. um, please. If not, send me, send someone to tell them, I, I need to warn them about this place that I'm in. Right. And Abraham says this in verse number 29. They have Moses and the prophets. Right. Let them hear them. Right. And he said, Nay, Father, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Father Abraham says to him in verse 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Right. The one rose from the dead. Right. Mind blow. Wow. You mean to tell me that rational human beings would not believe the testimony of someone who has been there and done that? They won't. They won't. It is an, and I'm not a psychologist, but it is an interesting feat of 
trickery, brain trickery for any one of us in this room. If Jesus Christ walked through this door right now and showed us the nails, the, the holes from the nails that went through his hands, you know, the, the opening in his side and said, here I am. Go ahead and touch, feel, smell, whatever you want to do. I'm here. I, there's physical evidence, and I'm here to tell you, uh, Russell, that, listen, if you don't live right, I'm telling you, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And so just do what my father's written in the scriptures and you'll be all right. Okay, everybody got it? All right, bye. He goes away. Guess what would happen the very next day? Some of us, I don't want to say all of us because I don't, I'm not your judge, but I guess I would say some of us, that would not be enough. I used to think, well, the apostles are special because, well, obviously they believe they got to walk with Christ. They, they got to see Christ after his resurrection. Of course they're gung-ho about the gospel. Well, that isn't the case. Because Father Abraham tells us a truth. And here's the truth. You want to do what you can't do. You want what you can't have. It's interesting to note that it, Father Abraham, in his response, he says to uh, the rich man, it says, they have Moses and the prophets. Well, what did, the Moses, what did Moses and the prophets do? What was their purpose in life? Well, we know that Moses um, uh, brought down the Ten Commandments from God right. and gave it to the people. Was that enough? Okay. You go to... Uh, um, let's go to... Uh, um, what is it? Uh, Ephesians. My apologies. Um, Ephesians, the second chapter. It says uh, in Ephesians, the second chapter, and I'll... And I'll well, I, there's so much in here I want to read. Um, let's, let's do this. Well, we'll skip around. In Ephesians, the second chapter, starting at verse number one. Uh, Paul is, is again talking to the church at Ephesus about... The um, about the celestial knowledge that is afforded all of us through the scripture mm -hmm. and how through uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ we have an understanding, we have the knowledge of understanding of knowing the plan that God wants for each and every one of us. And so he says in the very first verse of Ephesians, the second chapter, he says, And you he hath quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, 
you can go back and you can look at a number of different verses, certainly um, in the book of Romans, um, where it talks about Abraham was not justified by the law, but he was justified by faith. Furthermore, okay. And I'm sorry, brothers and sisters in Christ. I've got a lot of information I want to squeeze in. Um, and maybe I got a little too far ahead of myself with this concept. I thought I could fit it in in about 50 minutes. And it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do that. But Romans, the, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> it says in verse number 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. That's an important thing to note that you can't transgress a law if there is no law. Amen. And if there is no law, there is, there is no sin. Amen. Excuse me. If there is no law to be transgressed, rather, there is no sin. Because the scripture defines sin as a transgression of the law of God. Yes. So, before... Moses. All right, let me let me go back further. Before uh, Noah, let's go to Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. They've just been created. God has given them everything they need, and what does He do? He gives them one law, mm-hmm. just one, yes. just one little itty bitty law. He says, you can do what you want. You have free reign, man and woman, except you can't eat of the fruit from this tree. He just gave them one thing. It's kind of like the, the means. You only have one job, right? You only have one job. I get it. Man, and you can't even do that. And why? It is because through the knowledge of knowing that you can't do something, that our flesh is inclined to do that thing that we can't do. Right. I tell you right now, if I had a Mustang uh, GT350, I wouldn't desire it. I've already got it. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? You want that job until you get it, and then you're thinking, man, that job just isn't enough for me. I want that other job. Mm-hmm. You get promoted, and then what happens? Oh, I, I'm not content with this promotion. I, I need to continue to climb the corporate ladder, right? For those of us adults here in the room and on the prayer line, right? You've got a beautiful spouse. But let someone else walk past you that catches your fancy, what happens? Now, I'm not saying you personally. I'm just saying, what does your flesh incline you to do? You've already got something beautiful and great at home, but it's something out here that's not yours. You can't have it. The law says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions. The law says, thou shalt not take that neighbor's wife. But man, it sure looked nice. So my point being, or not my point, I, I again, I have to be 
uh, careful with my vernacular. The scripture is highlighting to us again that the law in and of itself is a curse to you and to me. And as a result of the law, why is it a curse? Because as it states in Ephesians, the second chapter and verse number three, it, it exposes us or curses us rather to fulfill the desires of our flesh mm-hmm. and the desires of the mind. <clears throat> it goes on to say, um, and, and we'll we'll look at the scripture and brother brother people junior if you can grab that yes. um, for us um, what was the scripture reading in Galatians Galatians the third chapter, chapter verse 10 through 14. 10 through 14 so let's let's go over there and, and take a look at that um, and while you're flipping over there um, let's talk about Christ Jesus and how he plays a role in this in the, the latter part of Ephesians, the second chapter, it says that in verse number 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of God. Right. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down that middle wall of partition between us. Right. What was this middle wall of partition? Mm-hmm. Um, now, who, who's the us? All of us. Who's the them? God and Christ. Now, you're right. Um, the, uh, the distinction here, he is referring to you know, Jews and, and Gentiles. But the, the more general sense, right, is that he's, he's talking about us as fleshly human beings and God and Christ as celestial human beings. And he says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What does enmity mean? You know, that, that thing which is contrary to, to God. Well, we know what is contrary to God. The flesh is enmity to God. Amen. Why? Because it's in the flesh that we commit sin, or it is in the flesh that sin resides. Mm-hmm. You all have sin in you right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about in your, in your, in your heart. Right. Also... You know, the scripture uses the word heart, but we know biologically that our brain is the, 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 the focal point of our consciousness. Right. It, it's in our brain that we make choices, yes. right. but it is in our flesh, right, where sin resides. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. Right. Those are the things that are in the world. The world is an enmity with God. I, I hopefully have... I've completed that circle there for us. But it is through Christ Jesus that we can overcome that gap or get through that middle wall of partition Mm -hmm. 
and align ourselves, even as terrestrial human beings, with the will of the celestial, the will of the almighty God. And it is only through Christ Jesus that we can do that. How do I know this? Because Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator between man and God. You can go back and look at that in the book of Hebrews. Because he humbled himself, he was God, or as God, he humbled himself lower than the angels and became a human being, just as we are, and he was subject to the same temptations as we are, but the scripture says that he suffered them all without what? Without sin. How did he do it? Now, we may all say, like I said, when I was, a, when I was struggling, um, when I first became a Christian, um, Jesus, is, Jesus is the only God and Son of God. Mm-hmm. He was with God at the very beginning. How do I know that? Go back and read the first chapter of the book of John. It says that, uh, that it was through the word, capital W, mm-hmm. that all things were created. And then if you read on in verse number 14, that that word, capital W, uh, became flesh. That word, capital W, was Christ Jesus, the Christ. So we know that, and I would say, well, of course Christ lived without sin. He was the only way, he knew heaven and hell. He was with God from the very beginning of things. Of course he lived life without sin. Go to the scripture read. Um, Galatians, the third chapter, 10 through 14. Go ahead, brother, and read that for me if you don't mind. Whereas many as part of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, mm-hmm. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Was Jesus cursed? <coughs> he absolutely was cursed. Mm-hmm. You want to know why he was cursed? Twofold. We know that Jesus was a man born under the law. He was cursed just like every single Jew at that time, being that he was born under the law. How do I? We just got through reading it, right? That you know the law is a curse. Yes. It's not something that we should hang our hat on. It's something really that we should try to get as far away from as we possibly can because it is a curse. How do I know it's a curse? Because we just got through talking about it. When there is a law, there is the opportunity to sin. And as long as you are in the flesh, 
and, and thus have the ability to transgress that law, you will always be cursed with the potential of sinning. Do you see why the law is a curse? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Christ being born under the law was subject to that same curse. Yes, right. yes. Furthermore, as the scripture says, as it pertains to curses, in the Old Testament scripture says, the one who is hung on a tree is cursed. Well, we know Christ was hung on a tree and was cursed, even in his, even in the very act of living obediently for God, mm -hmm. he subjected himself to being cursed. Now, you may think that's profound, and I think it certainly is as well, is that Christ was obedient unto death. If Christ were just obedient to the law, do you think Christ would have allowed himself to be hung on, the, hung on that cross? No, he wasn't. I, I, let, me, let me talk to you about this, for example. What did Christ, what was Christ um, uh, accused of doing on the Sabbath? What did he do on the Sabbath? And they were like, oh, Christ, you're a bad guy because you... Uh, he healed, did he not? There was a man stricken with leprosy. And he healed that man on the Sabbath. And they were like, whoa, you did wrong because you disobeyed the law. Christ's response was this. I didn't disobey. I'm not going to sacrifice righteousness just to be good. I'm always going to do what is right in the eyes of God, regardless of what the law says. And we see that Christ did that. He made himself a curse, which was wrong. Right? The Jews, in their, 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 their mandate, in their law, said that it was wrong. But Christ knew it was right in the eyes of God to allow himself to be hung on a tree. So much so that Paul says here in the book of Galatians that Christ became a curse for me and for you. And all glory be to God that he did that. So yes, there is a difference between good and evil. There's a difference between right and wrong. You know, the law gives us or tells us what is good and what is evil. Right. But it is not sufficient, brothers and sisters in Christ, Amen. to be right in the eyes of God. No. You, you need something that brings to your awareness what it means to be righteous. And that's why you need the Holy Bible. That's why you need the gospel of Jesus Christ specifically. The Old Testament is good. Yes, it says that the Old Testament is written for our learning. But spiritual life can, be, can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can't be found in the law. Go back and read all of the book of Romans and, and you'll, you'll see it very clearly there. You'll also see it. Again, in uh, Galatians, um, the book of Galatians, 
Um, well, I've got, I've got literally 12 seconds left, so I'll be quick. Uh, Galatians, the third chapter, 19 through 29. If you have notes and you have an opportunity to read um, afterwards, 